Good afternoon and welcome to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community. Your host is Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. This hour is designed to inspire, inform, and to help you live better with cancer. Now, here's your host, Kim Tibaldo. Welcome to Frankly Speaking About Cancer, an internet radio show that focuses on informing and inspiring people to live well with cancer. I am your guest host, Linda House, the Executive Vice President of External Affairs at the Cancer Support Community. Today, I am lucky to fill in for Kim Tebaldo, who is off. The Wellness Community and Gilda's Club have united to become the Cancer Support Community, one of the largest providers of cancer support in the United States and around the world. Our services are offered at over 170 locations worldwide, online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org, and via a telephone helpline. And I'm going to pause before I give you the number to let you grab a piece of paper and a pencil, and I will give you the number later in the show. I won't let a brain tumor defeat me or the people I love. It's a scary diagnosis, but now I know the facts. This is a quote that's directly from, frankly speaking about cancer, brain tumors. Currently, there are more than 688,000 people living with the brain or central nervous system tumor in the United States. And this year alone, an estimated 23,380 adults will be diagnosed with a primary cancerous brain tumor, according to the American Society of Clinical Oncology. The brain simultaneously controls personality, senses, vital body options, and movement. When a tumor develops, it can disrupt any of these areas that are essential to how we function. May is Brain Tumor Awareness Month, and on today's show, brought to you by NovoCure, we're going to take a closer look at brain tumors, what they are, how they are diagnosed and treated, and actions you can take to feel empowered and in control throughout your experience. We're joined today by two experts in this field, Deanna Glass-Masenka and Dr. Ashley Love Summerall. Deanna is a certified neuroscience registered nurse and program coordinator for the Neurosurgical Oncology Program at the John Hopkins Hospital. She has specialized in brain tumors for the past nine years. Dr. Summerall is a neurooncologist at the Levine Cancer Institute. She is, a board, she is board certified in internal medicine and specializes in neurooncology and hematology. Dr. Summerall joined LCI in 2011 and she had received her medical degree from the University of Mississippi School of Medicine. Thank you both for being here, Deanna and Dr. Summerall. Welcome. Thank you very much. So, Dr. Summerall, I think we should get started with the basics for our listeners. Can you explain to us exactly what brain tumors, brain cancer, I know that sometimes that language is mixed. So, can you just tell us what these are? Absolutely. Absolutely. This is a wonderful chance to help to expand knowledge, and this is one of the more confusing cancers that we deal with. So oftentimes when I first meet a patient, that's the first question they have. What does this mean? Uh, Did this start in the brain, or is it from somewhere else? And, uh, you know, what do these terms mean? Are they interchangeable? Um, Not all brain tumors are cancerous, but uh, most of them are. So you have to draw that distinction with patients from the beginning. Uh, So we will use those terms interchangeably sometimes, but you do have benign tumors and malignant tumors. And essentially, a brain tumor is an area in the brain where there are cells that are growing unnecessarily. 
they don't belong there. They may have been born in the brain, but they they don't belong in that location. Uh, There are two essential kinds. You have a benign tumor, which does not look cancerous under the microscope, or a malignant tumor, which does look cancerous under the microscope. And that's the primary distinction. And so, Deanna, can can brain tumors present themselves in different ways? Would a benign tumor present differently than, than a malignant tumor or different types of tumors present differently? Maybe you could just walk us through um, how people are diagnosed according to the way in which their tumors are presented. Sure, absolutely. That's an excellent question and not one that has a exactly straightforward answer, but I'll try to do my best. So people, people who have brain tumors can present in many, many ways. I think probably the one that people think of most is a seizure. Um, and seizures can be both generalized, where a patient, the typical seizure people would think of, where people are shaking all over and become unconscious, or they can be partial or focal in nature, meaning just a small part of the body twitches uncontrollably, or the patient becomes suddenly unable to speak for a short period of time, or the patient becomes kind of out of it, but still still conscious, um, but unable to perform tasks. Patients can pre- present with headaches. That's a very common um, presenting factor as well, although many more people have headaches than actually that are caused by tumors. So most headaches are not caused by brain tumors. I don't want to alarm anyone. Um, but certainly that can be a problem for patients with brain tumors. Um, and that can be from, you know, very large tumors that were slow-growing and finally empty uh, kind of turn the apple cart and that finally got big enough to cause a headache, but we have been there for years and years and years and likely a benign tumor versus uh, a malignant tumor that grows very rapidly and doesn't give the brain time to accommodate. So headaches are often a presenting symptoms for, for highly malignant, very fast-growing tumors as well as slow-growing tumors. Um, patients can also present with things like cognitive issues, memory issues, personality changes, um, focal neurological findings can also is also something that we might see, and that is really directly related to the area of the brain the tumor is. And what I mean by that is if the tumor, no matter if it were benign or malignant, were in an area that controlled motor, you might see weakness. You might see numbness. Um, if the tumor were near the area of the brain that controls speech, you certainly could find people that were unable to talk or had problems with their fluency of their speech. Other tumors that would be that would possibly be located at the base of the brain or the skull base um, could present potentially with visual problems because they would interrupt with the op- the optic pathways. Perhaps even hormonal abnormalities in patients with pituitary tumors could present with a, a variety of hormonal problems that could bring their tumor to the light. And I think the last but equally important to talk about is that many tumors are presented incidentally. I've had many people that had an MRI or a CAT scan because they were in a car accident or they fell and hit their head on, you know, off a ladder and had no other symptom um, but get a brain scan for some reason, non-related, and find out they have a tumor. So really the, the spectrum of how people present is very wide and very um, different depending on where the tumor is located in the brain. Mm-hmm. Well, and it, and it certainly sounds like if, if people have any of those symptoms that it's really important to not make assumptions, but just make sure that you get to the doctor or, the, or your uh, nurse practitioner so that you can have uh, an assessment made. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because many of these symptoms could be related and it's very important to rule it out. Mm-hmm. And um, 
Dr. Sumrall. So can you speak about the different types of brain tumors and, and you know, mm-hmm. information about each of those types? So I, I think a lot of times patients become confused because there is a very... Um, a very significant difference between primary brain tumors and secondary brain tumors. So a lot of times people will um, will confuse the two. So secondary cancers that go to the brain, such as breast cancer or lung cancer, will often be called brain cancer or brain tumor in conversation. But when we are talking about uh, brain tumors in this setting, what we're really talking about are those that come from tissues of the brain. And uh, people become confused about staging and grading and all of those terms as well. But what's important to remember is if you have a primary brain tumor, it's essentially born of the brain. So it's made from the structures that make up a healthy brain. And that's one of the reasons that the disease is so challenging to treat because you can't get rid of those those pieces. Um, we have different different types of tumors, and some of those names that I'll mention are very long. Um, glial tumors, glioblastoma, astrocytoma, ependymoma, and the names go on and on. But the important thing to remember is if you do have a primary brain tumor to... Um, if you're diagnosed with that or if you suspect that, to ask your physician um, exactly what the name of your tumor is because the blanket statement of brain tumor doesn't cover everything. Um, I'll speak a little bit about the primary brain tumors because this is um, these are terrible tumors that cause much distress to patients and to loved ones. And they keep patients in and out of our offices every day. And, and we refer to these as glial tumors. And glia is a word uh, that means glue, essentially. And it's kind of the glue that holds the brain together. Uh, and most of our tumors that we see derive from those cells. Astrocytes are another kind that we also see. And you'll hear us use language that interprets um, those words. And that would be such as glioblastoma, which is uh, the tumor that... Uh, is all too common and that we, um, that we are faced with treating every day. So, Deanna, of, of the tumors that are mentioned, and, you know, in the introduction we talked about, you know, the number of people that are living with a brain tumor um, as well as the number that are diagnosed. So what are the most common types of brain tumors? The com- most common types of primary brain tumors are uh, meningioma, which is uh, mostly a benign tumor, but a small portion of those can be malignant. Um, Those tumors, although mostly benign, can also occur in places in the brain that make them very, very challenging to remove. So although pathologically are benign, can be one one of the most challenging tumors to treat because it's unlikely that much of it could be resected. The other second most common type of brain tumor, uh, primary brain tumor, which is the one that Dr. Summerall was just talking about, is the glioma group or the glial group. And that's about 30% of all brain tumors are now uh, gliomas. And that is the one that is the super aggressive and has poor outcomes, if you will. Other kinds of Brain tumors that we mostly treat are schwannomas, which are brain tumors that arise from nerve cells or the linings of the nerves in the brain. 
um, cellar tumors, which are usually tumors of the pituitary gland or the surrounding structures, which I mentioned earlier, could present with hormonal abnormalities. Um, lymphoma, which is um, a primary cancer, even though it sounds like it shouldn't be, um, but it is a primary cancer that arises um, in the brain. And those are probably the most common primary brain tumors, although there are many other variants, as Dr. Sumrall was also talking, ependymomas, um, germ cell tumors, other variants of tumors. Great. We are going to have to go to a quick commercial break. This information is incredibly helpful. Thank you so much. And for those of you who grabbed a a pen and a piece of paper, I wanted to give you our helpline number. That number is 1-888-793-9355. This is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. We will be back with more right after this break. Novacure, a company dedicated to advancing novel therapies for cancer, is proud to recognize May as National Brain Tumor Awareness Month. Novacure is the pioneer of a novel treatment modality called tumor-treating fields, which is currently FDA-approved for the treatment of recurrent glioblastoma. Glioblastoma is the most common and deadly form of primary brain tumor. Approximately 10,000 new cases of glioblastoma are diagnosed in the United States each year. This May, Novacure is joining hands with leading cancer advocacy organizations to recognize patients and caregivers impacted by brain cancer. Novacure is the sponsor of the Tune Into GBM campaign that invites people to show their support and engage with others who have been affected by brain cancer. Visit www.tuneintogbm.com for valuable information on glioblastoma, including educational resources for patients and caregivers. To learn more about Novacure, Visit www.novacure.com. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle coworkers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. The Cancer Support Community is ready to help by providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at over 100 locations around the world, the Cancer Support Community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-9355. Or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. The Cancer Support Community, a global network of education and hope. Cancer Support Community is proud to be a partner of Magnolia Meals at Home, a new pilot program that aims to help patients by providing nourishing meals to households affected by breast cancer so loved ones can spend more quality time together. This program is currently available in and around two pilot cities, Andover, Massachusetts, and Woodcliffe Lake, New Jersey. Participants will receive one delivery of meals every month for up to six months when enrolled in the program. Each delivery includes up to seven meals designed to help meet the nutritional needs of people living with breast cancer and 10 meals for family members. This novel program is brought to you by the AZI Women's Oncology Program, Magnolia. Cancer Care the Cancer Support Community, and Meals on Wheels Association of America. 
To find out if you or loved ones are eligible, visit online at www.magnoliamealsathome.com or call 617-733-5848. People living with breast cancer often find it difficult to ask for help, and many of the people in their lives want to help but don't know how. During National Breast Cancer Awareness Month, Cancer Support Community is proud to support Meal Trains sponsored by Magnolia, which utilizes Mealtrain.com, a free shared online calendar to streamline the process of giving and receiving meals for families coping with breast cancer. Help us reach our goal of 1,000 new breast cancer-specific meal trains this October. To learn more, visit Mealtrain.com MMT and enter the code MAGNOLIAB or visit us at cancersupportcommunity.org. Cancer. It's a lonely word. Terms I don't understand. Choices I never thought I'd have to make. But there is hope and help. Support from cancer survivors. Links to research and clinical trials. Help with finances and access to care. All behind you at Breakaway from Cancer. Created by Amgen to empower cancer patients. The Cancer Support Community is proud to be a partner of Breakaway from Cancer. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. I am Linda House. I'm your co-host for today, standing in for Kim Tibaldo. I'd like to thank NovaCure for sponsoring today's show on brain tumors during May, which is National Brain Tumor Awareness Month. Today I am joined by Deanna Glass-Masinka and Dr. Ashley Simrall, both in the medical field and specializing in brain tumors. And in honor of Brain Tumor Awareness Month, we've been talking about what brain tumors are to raise awareness for uh, the listeners here. And um, I'd like to go a little bit further and talk about, you know, diagnosis and some other patient considerations. So, Deanna, if it's okay with you, I'd like to start with you. And, you know, I know that you talked about some of the signs and symptoms of someone um, living with a brain tumor prior to being diagnosed. But can you just go a little bit more into... um, you know, ways in which patients should really, if they're experiencing, you know, any of the symptoms, and maybe you could repeat just a couple of the the most common ones, but if they're experiencing symptoms, you know, how would they go about, you know, reaching out and and having a conversation with their doctor, and what should that time frame be? So when a patient who is a yet-to-be-diagnosed brain tumor patient, those patients could certainly present with seizures, headaches, cognitive deficits, uh, hormonal abnormalities, or or even focal findings such as speech problems, visual problems. And I think pretty much those symptoms should be addressed immediately. Obviously, a seizure is not something anyone is going to um, deal with for long before it becomes comes to the attention, but some of the other seizures that I mentioned, you know, headache is such a common symptom for so many people in this country, so many people write it off, but usually in a, pa- in a patient who has a brain tumor, especially a fast-growing brain tumor, those headaches come on pretty suddenly and are often pretty severe, um, so patients really should get to their doctors quickly to address any concern 
so that we can get the proper diagnostic workup to rule out the easy things and unfortunately potentially rule in a brain tumor and then be able to treat it as quickly as possible so the patient can have the best outcome possible. Great. Thank you. And Dr. Summerall, are there any particular risk factors or conditions that someone that would make someone more susceptible for a brain tumor? Anyone that should be watching more carefully than others? Well, this is a question that I get a lot, and it's, it's fascinating because when I'm having just regular social conversations, people love to ask about cell phones. So I'll address that one um, up front. So we do not have convincing evidence that um, cell phone use causes brain tumors. However, every couple of years, um, a small study will come out, and one was recently in the media about um, correlating hours of cell phone usage to the incidence of a brain tumor. So I think it is, um, it is, it is best stated that we do not have evidence that shows a direct cause, cause and effect relationship. There are some pediatricians who will um, recommend limiting cell phone usage because of the potential danger, because of the developing brain and um, maybe the skull structure, what have you, but there isn't a universal recommendation um, that I'm aware of based on that. So I think for a lot of people, you can, you can answer that question with, we don't have a direct cause and effect, however... I can't reassure you completely, and that's with, with anything that could potentially cause a cancer. Um, some of the other things that, that were asked about are um, exposure to chemicals, and there have been some small studies um, that show that some chemicals may make you more prone to having any cancer, uh, brain cancers included. But, the, but again, there's nothing that we can draw a correlative with, um, direct correlative with. Uh, the only thing that is documented and has statistically been proven is exposure to ionizing radiation. So children who receive radiation to the brain and to the body for leukemia who are survivors, uh, people who are exposed to radiation environmentally, large amounts, such as um, following natural disasters, there are patients who develop brain tumors later from that. Um, we also know that the therapy, the radiation therapy that we use to help heal people with brain tumors can also induce tumors in some patients. Um, and there is a, there are many, many articles if you look up um, causes of brain tumors, many opinions. Uh, but, but what is most important for most of my patients that I share with them is that you did nothing to cause this tumor and the odds are that you will not pass it on to your children. There are some clusters of families where brain tumors appear to be passed down, uh, but this is very, very rare, and this is uh, at large institutions where, where we're studying this. There are some tumors that are related to genetic factors, and those are some tumors that we've not mentioned, um, things such as neurofibromatosis, where... Uh, tumors are related to that. There's some other genetic conditions. So I think it's very prudent if you have a genetic condition to always ask those questions of your medical team. Great. Thank you. And, and Dr. Summer, while, you're, while I've got your attention, mm-hmm. um, could you just tell us a little bit more about the diagnosis process? Sure. I, you know, I agree uh, with, with what Deanna stated, that it varies so much. Um, when patients come in and they are newly diagnosed, it's incredibly overwhelming and symptoms vary significantly. 
And oftentimes, I would agree also that people do not have symptoms, but it's an incidental finding, and sometimes that can be even more uh, disruptive. You know, you, you go in for something simple and you find out that you have a brain tumor. So the diagnostic process varies, but once you know what you're dealing with, then you start this scavenger hunt, if you will. And depending on the age of the patient and other health conditions, your healthcare team is going to try to narrow it down. Do we think this is a primary tumor? Do we think this is a secondary tumor? And if you feel like this is a process that could be metastatic, which we use that word to describe a tumor that comes from somewhere else. So, for example, if you think this is a breast cancer that spread, then you start to look for that initial tumor, okay? And a lot of that comes along with really knowing the field and really understanding when you need to look elsewhere for other tumors. Now, if you feel confident that, that it is a primary tumor, very seldom do those escape the nervous system. So most of the time you're just dealing with a brain tumor or a spinal cord tumor, so there's a, uh, there's a very different way that you go through diagnosis with those tumors. Mm-hmm. Um, in either situation, the things that are common are experiencing the CT scan or the MRI of the brain. And so our patients who have previously not had any of these illnesses become exposed very quickly to the process of imaging of the brain and blood work and physical exams and tests to check their memory and their cognitive abilities. So in part, um, you're completely overwhelmed by your new symptoms if you're having symptoms. And then you're overwhelmed with this introduction into the healthcare world and all of these, these studies that we, um, that we place on our patients. So I, I just want to emphasize the importance during the diagnostic phase to really take the time to get information from your medical care team, um, from your nurses, uh, from your doctor, to ask if there are other families that you can connect with because it's a very crucial time to gather information. Well, and that leads me into really the next question I wanted to ask you, which was what 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 things should we be asking um, our doctors? Um, you know, I, I'm guessing that it's as simple as what is a CAT scan? What is an MRI? What are some other things that you would encourage patients to ask you or their diagnosing physician? Sure. We, you know, I I think that I describe the situation for my patients as the new normal for them because many of them are going through life and they're healthy and this disease just falls out of the sky and it affects the patient and it affects their loved ones and it's devastating. Whether it's a metastatic tumor or whether it's a primary tumor that's a high-grade tumor, which means a quickly growing tumor, it just completely shuts down life as they know it. So I think it's very important to become organized and to have your family, friends, church, whatever support you have to rally around you and help you. Because if you're the patient, your memory may not be good, your judgment may not be intact. So really getting organized is important. Uh, I always designate someone in the family to be the paper keeper, as I call it, who has all of the information. And many of our families like to get online and seek additional resources. And I'm a huge proponent of that, but I want them to get quality So I'll refer them to quality websites. Um, I will send them information via email or provide them with handwritten resources 
And a lot of times I'll allow them to kind of do their homework as they um, are settling into the diagnosis, and then we'll revisit it. I think you have to make enough time for those patients um, to ask their questions. Along those lines, I will also say that um, in this field, there is a lot of variability and comfort with brain tumors. Um, there are less than 200 neuro-oncologists in the country, and so by nature of my field, I'm an oncologist who treats brain tumors all day long. There are neurosurgeons in the country who operate on multiple parts of the brain and, and spinal canal, and you want to be sure that when you are meeting your medical team that you're asking those questions about experience. Um, you want to have a surgeon who is very skilled and who can answer those direct questions. How many operations do you do? Um, is this your area of interest? Um, if someone tells you that your tumor can't be resected or surgically removed, maybe you need to get another opinion because you are in the driver's seat of your health care. Um, the same questions go for other physicians and care team members. The thing that I tell my patients very often is that if your care team is secure in how they care for patients, if you ask them for a second opinion, they will immediately hand you a list and they'll say, absolutely, and here's who I recommend because they have your best interest in mind. Some of the questions that I would ask would be explain treatment to me. Uh, what does chemotherapy mean? What kind of surgery is this? What kind of side effects would I have? And to keep a list, to keep one binder or one list with all of your questions and ask those same questions at each stop along the way because you're going to have multiple physicians caring for you and you want to be sure to get a perspective from each and every member of that care team. Great. Thank you. We are going to have to go to a quick commercial break. When we come back, we're going to start with Deanna, and we're going to talk about how do you prepare yourselves for treatment. Um, but before we go to break, I'd like to just send a quick thanks to NovoCure for sponsoring this episode of Frankly Speaking About Cancer. We'll be right back after the break. NovaCure, a company dedicated to advancing novel therapies for cancer, is proud to recognize May as National Brain Tumor Awareness Month. NovaCure is the pioneer of a novel treatment modality called Tumor Treating Fields, which is currently FDA-approved for the treatment of recurrent glioblastoma. Glioblastoma is the most common and deadly form of primary brain tumor. Approximately 10,000 new cases of glioblastoma are diagnosed in the United States each year. This May, NovaCure is joining hands with leading cancer advocacy organizations to recognize patients and caregivers impacted by brain cancer. NovaCure is the sponsor of the Tune Into GBM campaign that invites people to show their support and engage with others who have been affected by brain cancer. Visit www.tuneintogbm.com for valuable information on glioblastoma, including educational resources for patients and caregivers. To learn more about NovaCure, Visit www.novacure.com. Cancer Support Community is proud to be a partner of Magnolia Meals at Home, a new pilot program that aims to help patients by providing nourishing meals to households affected by breast cancer so loved ones can spend more quality time together. This program is currently available in and around two pilot cities, Andover, Massachusetts and Woodcliffe Lake, New Jersey. Participants will receive one delivery of meals every month for up to six months when enrolled in the program. 
Each delivery includes up to seven meals designed to help meet the nutritional needs of people living with breast cancer and 10 meals for family members. This novel program is brought to you by the Azi Women's Oncology Program, Magnolia. Cancer Care, the Cancer Support Community, and Meals on Wheels Association of America. To find out if you or loved ones are eligible, visit online at www.magnoliamealsathome.com or call 617-733-5848. People living with breast cancer often find it difficult to ask for help, and many of the people in their lives want to help but don't know how. During National Breast Cancer Awareness Month, Cancer Support Community is proud to support Meal Trains sponsored by Magnolia, which utilizes Mealtrain.com, a free shared online calendar to streamline the process of giving and receiving meals for families coping with breast cancer. Help us reach our goal of 1,000 new breast cancer-specific meal trains this October. To learn more, visit Mealtrain.com MMT and enter the code MAGNOLIAB or visit us at cancersupportcommunity.org. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. Welcome back. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. I am Linda House, your guest host for today, filling in for Kim Tebaldo, the President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. I'm joined today by Deanna Glass-Masinka and Dr. Ashley Summerall. Today, in honor of May being Brain Tumor Awareness Month, we are talking about brain tumors. In the first couple of episodes, we've covered a lot, everything from the different types of brain tumors to the symptoms that someone might experience to how... Uh, diagnosis would take place, and some of the questions that should be asked of the healthcare team as you're moving through diagnosis. And Deanna, I'd like to pick up on that at this point in time with you. Let's move into treatment. So once somebody has been diagnosed with a brain tumor, can you talk about the things that, um, that, that, that people can do at this early stage to prepare themselves for making the treatment decision or the treatment itself? Well, I often see patients... Um, and we pretty quickly moved to going to the operating room as I am a surgical neuro- surgical oncology nurse specialist. Um, so there's often not a whole lot of time. But what I tell my patients is, uh, first of all, to make sure you share all medications that you currently take, both prescription and over-the-counter as well as herbal remedies with your physician because oftentimes patients don't really think that the aspirin they take or the supplements they take are really important to discuss. And I always tell people to make sure they tell them everything because some of those things may be contraindicated to take if you are looking at a surgical um, a surgical option and even other options down the road. So that's the first thing. The second thing I tell people, um, just to reiterate a little bit um, about what Dr. Summerall said, is information is, is so key, but good information Um appropriate websites, appropriate places to reach out for information because there's a lot of junk, if you will, out there on the Internet as well, and people can get really, really pointed in the wrong direction if they don't have good information. And then the rest of the things I tell patients are things like rest and eat well because your body needs to be at its strongest no matter what phase of your treatment you're in. So the better you can eat, the better you can rest, 
the more relaxation and calming time in your life, the better it's going to be as you prepare for these treatments. Although, considering this is, as Dr. Sermerall said, just such a horribly overwhelming, stressful time. But if you could try to take some time each day and kind of decompress, um, that's always very helpful. And the last thing that I always often tell people, whether it's a benign tumor in a good location or a malignant tumor in a bad location, or or what we suspect it to be, is that you should really get your affairs in order. No matter what surgery you have, uh, whether it be an appendectomy or, you know, a broken arm repair, you're still going under general anesthesia, and even more risk is involved when you're talking about the brain. Even in the hands of a very talented neurosurgical expert, things can go wrong. And it's not very often that that happens, but it's often very helpful to kind of get your affairs in order in terms of what you would want should an untoward outcome happen. Um, and just make those those arrangements ahead of time so, God forbid, you would have to make them. You won't have to deal with them after the fact. Mm-hmm. Um, so advanced directives and living wills are always really very important to me as people are going to enter the treatment um, paradigm for a brain tumor. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, and I wanted to take a second just to plug a program that we have here at the Cancer Support Community. It's called Open to Options, and it is a 40-minute session with one of our specially trained counselors to help patients walk through what's important to them as they're making treatment decisions. So that that session can be requested either in person at one of our local affiliates or by calling the number that I gave you earlier, which is 888 793 9355. And really the ideal time to have one of those open to option sessions is when you're in that decision making phase. It'll help you go back to your healthcare team with a customized list of questions that will enable the two of you together to make the best treatment uh, decision for for you. So I wanted to just put a little plug in um, there before I move to Dr. Sumrall, who um, I'd like to just ask you about the different treatment options. I know Deanna talked about surgical removal, but um, I know that there are a number of different treatment options for brain tumors, and what what are those? There are several options that we use. Um, You know, the field of brain tumor uh, research has really exploded over the last few years, but the basics remain the same. And that is the first thing that you want to know is if you're a surgical candidate, can the tumor be removed? And if so, um, what kind of side effects will happen afterwards or what kind of projected side effects? So oftentimes the surgical team is the first team that patients meet and they either give them the thumbs up or the thumbs down as to if they need that procedure or not. If they don't have a surgery, they may have a biopsy, which may be um, just a, a small sampling of tissue so we know that we're treating the right kind of cancer. And from there, you move on to different people um, caring for you, and that will be your chemotherapy specialist and your radiation specialist. And so for most brain tumors, we use some form of uh, radiation therapy, and it's a, it's a big topic to discuss, and it can sound very intimidating, but uh, the radiation doctors do a wonderful job of explaining how they're going to use radiation to treat the tumor and also how they're going to avoid causing harm by protecting other parts of the brain. And for most of our patients, uh, treatment time for radiation is about six weeks. Uh, they go in short segments. And they have doctors and nurses and therapists who help with all of those. So, again, it's just like a whole new world um, with lots of new faces. 
On the chemotherapy side or on the biologic therapy side, um, you meet with a medical oncologist or a neuro-oncologist, and you have a whole staff of caregivers there as well. We give oral chemotherapy, which is a pill that you take um, at home. We also give IV medicines that are chemotherapy medicines and biologic medicines, which is really a fancy word for uh, a medicine that is similar to chemo but doesn't make you sick like chemo. Another option that we love for our patients to use is uh, the option of a clinical trial. And for brain tumors, it is imperative that you look at your clinical trial options because it allows you to have something new and novel in, in your care. And for many of our patients, that may include immunotherapy, which we commonly refer to as a vaccine, or you may have a personalized therapy. So always researching clinical trials um, for your individual condition is strongly advised. A newer therapy that we're using for brain tumors is called TTF, which is Tumor Treating Field. And I get a lot of questions about that one, but it involves using um, a, a device that has um, minimal side effects to treat your tumor with alternating electric fields. And so I just want to pick up on a, on a couple of things that you mentioned. So mm-hmm. clinical trials, we mm-hmm. have had a couple of radio shows on clinical trials, and we will have one coming up in, in, in a few weeks. So I would just encourage listeners, if you have any questions about clinical trials, we have content on the website, or you can listen to a previously recorded version of Frankly Speaking to get some additional information. But that's a, a, a great option. I agree with you um, on that. And then I wanted to just touch base with you quickly about the patient's healthcare teams. So for someone who has a brain tumor, and you touched on this, I just wanted to dig a little bit deeper, they may have several different teams depending on um, their modality of treatment. Would you agree with that? And what would that look like? Um, I I think it varies depending on your institution. So if you're Mm -hmm. at a small community hospital, you may have people doing double duty. You know, you may have someone that's a nurse that works with multiple physicians, for example. If you're at a large center, you may have 20 people involved in your care. And and, and not to imply that either is better, but they're just different. They're different models. And those are questions that patients can ask. Um, one important question is, do you have a nurse navigator? Do you have someone that can move through every appointment with me and be an advocate? Uh, a patient advocate is another buzzword. So I, I often ask patients to investigate that as they're trying to select where they're going to receive care. And so, Deanna, maybe you could speak to to the, the care teams there. And I'm, I'm thinking about, you know, would a patient have a, a radiation therapy team, for example, and a chemotherapy team, you know, maybe a post-surgical team or a survivorship clinic team? Maybe you could just share what it looks like in your facility. Absolutely. So uh, at Johns Hopkins, we have a very comprehensive multidisciplinary team and in fact, we meet every morning, every Monday morning, excuse me, as a team to discuss all the patients currently in the pipeline at various stages of their disease treatment paradigm. But, you know, that team should be the neurosurgeon, the radiation oncologist, the medical oncologist, the social worker, the OTPT speech rehab team, um, the nurse, of course, and even the, the spiritual advisors we often invite to some of our brain tumor meetings to be involved when making decisions for um, their patients. And I think, you know, 
as Dr. Summerall said, not all small institutions will have that diverse of a team, and there's a lot of overlapping. But at a larger institute, at a brain tumor center, where I encourage people, if it's possible, if at all possible, to be treated at a brain tumor center, that would be the optimal, although I do understand that not everyone lives close to a big academic center, so smaller institutions certainly can provide excellent care as well. Um, and that's when I would really encourage to reach out to some of those resources um, to get literature on, on the questions to ask, the, the treatments that are used in bigger centers, and are, are they the same centers that are the same treatment that would be used if, if I had to choose a smaller center? Um, because I think a, you know, it takes a village. It's a very large and multidisciplinary uh, comprehensive team that is going to provide the best outcome for the patient. Mm-hmm. And I'd like for you to hang on to that thought. We have to go to a commercial break, but when we come back, I'd like to talk a little bit more about that extended team and uh, the questions that we might be asking the extended team and how do we engage the caregiver in uh, the, this whole process. So please uh, stand by for a quick commercial break and join us after the break. This is Frankly Speaking About Cancer, and we will return shortly. Novacure, a company dedicated to advancing novel therapies for cancer, is proud to recognize May as National Brain Tumor Awareness Month. Novacure is the pioneer of a novel treatment modality called Tumor Treating Fields, which is currently FDA-approved for the treatment of recurrent glioblastoma. Glioblastoma is the most common and deadly form of primary brain tumor. Approximately 10,000 new cases of glioblastoma are diagnosed in the United States each year. This May, Novacure is joining hands with leading cancer advocacy organizations to recognize patients and caregivers impacted by brain cancer. Novacure is the sponsor of the Tune Into GBM campaign that invites people to show their support and engage with others who have been affected by brain cancer. Visit www.tuneintogbm.com for valuable information on glioblastoma, including educational resources for patients and caregivers. To learn more about Novacure, visit www.novacure.com. Cancer Support Community is proud to be a partner of Magnolia Meals at Home, a new pilot program that aims to help patients by providing nourishing meals to households affected by breast cancer so loved ones can spend more quality time together. This program is currently available in and around two pilot cities, Andover, Massachusetts and Woodcliffe Lake, New Jersey. Participants will receive one delivery of meals every month for up to six months when enrolled in the program. Each delivery includes up to seven meals designed to help meet the nutritional needs of people living with breast cancer and 10 meals for family members. This novel program is brought to you by the Azi Women's Oncology Program, Magnolia, Cancer Care, the Cancer Support Community, and Meals on Wheels Association of America. To find out if you or loved ones are eligible, visit online at www.magnoliamealsathome.com or call 617-733-5848. People living with breast cancer often find it difficult to ask for help, and many of the people in their lives want to help but don't know how. During National Breast Cancer Awareness Month, Cancer Support Community is proud to support Meal Trains sponsored by Magnolia, which utilizes Mealtrain.com, a free shared online calendar to streamline the process of giving and receiving meals for families coping with breast cancer. 
Help us reach our goal of 1,000 new breast cancer-specific meal trains this October. To learn more, visit mealtrain.com slash MMT and enter the code MAGNOLIAB or visit us at cancersupportcommunity.org. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. I'm Linda House, and today we've been talking about brain tumors, what they are, how they're diagnosed, and the different treatments that are available for them. In this final segment of the show, I really want to talk about what resources are available, what support systems might be thinking about, and you know some of the quality of life issues um, for people who are impacted by a brain tumor. So, Deanna, we were talking about the healthcare team and a key component of the healthcare team and the patient care team um, would be the caregivers. So, do you have any advice for the caregivers as they're going through this process of observing symptoms, diagnosis, treatment? You know, what should they keep in mind during? This? This process? I think the most important thing to remember is to accept help. I see spouses all the time feeling guilty that they don't want to do it all themselves or they, they can't do it all themselves, I should say, and they're afraid to ask for help. And I think that we are fortunate to have a lot of resources available and that people should not be afraid to use them, whether that be reaching out to your church, your community, your neighborhood. Um, and, you know, by and large, people want to help, so let them. Let them mow your lawn. Let them go do your grocery shopping so you can spend the time with your loved one and be with them. But the other thing is is they need to take time for themselves. This is a pretty horrible disease with some awful things that the patient and the family will experience, and that, that caregiver needs to let go of the guilt and take small periods of time for themselves to kind of regroup and, and recharge their batteries, if you will, um, because it is, it's a very difficult process and it's super important to keep that caregiver healthy and well, um, as well as the patient. Mm-hmm. That's, that's great advice. Um, Dr. Summerall, can you talk a little bit about ensuring quality of life, both during and beyond active treatment? Absolutely. And to to echo what Deanna said, I often refer to this as a family illness. And when I meet a patient and start caring for them, it's truly caring for the whole family. And people who are in this field uh, have a strong desire to do that for people. Uh, I just wanted to mention, you know, how different this illness is from the other cancers. And the illustration I use with some of my patients, um, lung cancer patients cough. And brain cancer patients have other problems that are symptoms. And so I like to reassure my patients that things like anxiety and depression are very common symptoms and even side effects of treatment. And so those need to be dealt with in addition to just the pure medical needs. Um, Some of our patients can't walk and they have challenges at home trying to equip the home and vehicles and and um, day-to-day living is affected because of that. Some of them can't communicate well. They can't express themselves the way they want to to their families. So while it's very important to treat aggressively with surgery and chemo and radiation, the things that are very hard to treat are these day-to-day issues. The quality of life is always um, the first thing that we address. 
survival is important, but you want that to be quality survival. Um, many patients have personality changes and may have very different behaviors, and it's important to educate families that those are symptoms of the disease and that it's not the person, uh, the personality of the patient. And I suspect at this point in time, it's communication with the healthcare team and getting social and emotional support for both the patient and the caregiver is critical. It is so critical. And if patients are allowed to reach out um, through support groups to other families who are going through similar situations, it's incredibly beneficial for them. There are some wonderful websites and resources available for them uh, to use as well. And I think this is a great time to, to, to maybe share with our listeners, what are those resources? So for my patients, um, there, there are many out there that are very good. Um, the brain tumor, BrainTumor.org is a website that the National Brain Tumor Society sponsors. It is full of helpful information, full of ways to connect to other families going through the same process. And also the American Brain Tumor Association, which is abta.org, has some wonderful resources. So um, that's essentially the homework that I give to my patients from the moment that I meet them. So braintumor.org and abta.org. Absolutely. Deanna, how about you? What do you uh, where do you send your patients? Well, we have a list of resources, uh, printed websites, uh, and other places that they could look for on the web to get solid, good, sound advice. We also, the physician I work for, Dr. Alessandro Levy, who's the director of the Brain Tumor Program here, he and I wrote a book, and it's called A Patient's Guide to Brain Cancer, and it covers from beginning to end in terms of how people get diagnosed, how to cover, how to pick your treatment team, questions you should ask, different chemotherapies, through to the end and talking about quality of life and hospice. Um, and that is available as well, called, a, again, A Patient's Guide to Brain Cancer. The Frankly Speaking About Brain Cancer book um, as well is a great resource and has a plethora of, of places in the back where you could look for to contact people for resources and information. Great. And thank you for helping with, frankly speaking, about cancer brain tumor. And just so people know where to find that, it's on our website, www.cancersupportcommunity.org. And Deanna, where can people find a patient's guide to brain cancer? Amazon.com. Amazon.com. Thank you uh, so much. This is great. Deanna and Dr. Summerall, thank you both for being here today during Brain Tumor Awareness Month and helping us understand more about brain tumors. As I mentioned, today's show has been sponsored by NovoCure. And NovoCure is doing a program called Tune In to Glioblastoma, Tune In to GBM. To learn more about brain tumors, you can find additional resources at that website. And to help spread awareness of brain tumors, we're we and a number of other organizations are tweeting throughout the month using the hashtag tune in the number two GBM. So I would encourage you to go to Twitter and look up that hashtag again, tune in the number two GBM and take a look at the resources that are also available on that website. 
To all of our listeners today, I'd like to thank you for joining us. This is Frankly Speaking About Cancer, and I am Linda House filling in for Kim Thibodeau, the President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. While I've got your attention, listeners, I'd like to ask if you have ideas for episodes of Frankly Speaking About Cancer. We invite you to share with us any topics you'd like to hear and any um, information that you would like to receive as we're thinking about upcoming shows. You could send us your ideas at news at cancersupportcommunity.org. So just email news at cancersupportcommunity.org. As you know, the Cancer Support Community provides a multitude of in-person, online, and over-the-phone support. If you or someone you know is faced with a cancer diagnosis, you do not have to do it alone. For more information about all of our programs, please visit us at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. You can find a location near you. You can call our toll-free helpline. You could do live chat with one of our licensed mental health professionals. And you can do online support groups. I do want to remind you quickly of the couple of resources that you heard during this call or this uh, show today. Braintumor.org, ABTA.org, A Patient's Guide to Brain Cancer, available on Amazon.com. And frankly speaking about cancer, brain tumors available on our website. I want to just quickly thank... Our guests today, Deanna Glass-Masinka from the John Hopkins Hospital and Dr. Ashley Love-Summerall from the Levine Cancer Institute. Thank you both for being here with us today. You're quite welcome. It was my pleasure. Absolutely. Thank you very much. And to our listeners, until the next time, be well, do well, live well. Thank you for joining us for Frankly Speaking About Cancer with your host, Kim Tibaldo. We're here for you every Tuesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. In the meantime, stay connected online at cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. <music>